0: sifter for the ear news interviews reviews
1: cinema tv streaming action hi y'all this is jerry williams aka tv jerry
2: in bali uganda they call it malrua and you sit around a clay pot sipping this fermented swill from long reed straws that you pass around while sharing stories and possibly diseases what do you think brother i'm earl this is craig Drinking Malraux isn't the worst decision we've ever made. We grew up together in Bangkok, where bad decisions were easy. So let me explain how we got here.
1: That's an excerpt from the opening of the trailer for the first season of The Good Road, which aired nationally on PBS. The third season drops on September 6th, so I've got Richmond filmmaker Craig Martin and his co-host Earl Bridges on today's sifter to talk about how the show got started, how it's developed over three seasons, and how they turned Earl into a Thai punk.
2: Sifter. review
1: of the week. This Fool, on Hulu. What Atlanta did for black rappers and reservation dogs did for Native Americans, comedian Chris Estrada has done with this series, which is based on his life with his intergenerational Mexican-American family. He lives at home with his mother in South Central L.A. and helps run a nonprofit that helps rehab gang members and former inmates, including his older cousin, played by Frankie Quinones, who moves in with them. Quite simply, this show is endearingly funny. The cast is loaded with unique and amusing characters, including Quinones, Michelle Ortiz as his girlfriend, and Jamar Malachi as the passionate pastry chef. They don't overplay, they don't underplay, they play just right. Estrada's character is a sort of Mexican Charlie Brown. He's a put-upon sad sack who's the butt of every joke, but it works to have his solid foundation in the middle of the wackiness. The show is at times clever, touching, and genuinely amusing, while capturing a slice of life that's unique yet universal. By the way, give it at least two episodes for it to find its footing. I gave it four and a half out of five stars. Ooh. Craig Martin, are you aware that there is a- another Craig Martin who was the producer for Sha Na Na?
0: no i and i loved shauna back in the day no I yeah back in the I, day some of these
1: people some of the listeners will <laughs> not even know who that is but yeah when i looked you up on imdb that craig martin came up too and there's ironically there's another big pop star in sweden named jerry williams ah huh, all right unfortunately earl i got nothing for you no i hope not yeah
2: exactly
0: convict in some prison somewhere i'm sure it was <laughs> so
1: uh, you guys in all the press that talks about y'all are best friends how did y'all meet and how did that happen
2: I think part of it is just growing up Thailand, where we grew up in Bangkok. uh, Craig was born there. I went when I was nine years old. It's a small school, small community. So back in the day... Was this military or...? Exactly. When I was first there in 1974, I think is when I got there. It was the Vietnam War and my dad was an Air Force pilot. We stayed there for about six and a half years. My dad later went back as a missionary with my mom. So in the school, the International School of Bangkok, that's where Craig and I got together.
0: And I grew up, my parents were Baptist missionaries there. So that's- that's
1: that's interesting. Cause my father was a Baptist minister. And I remember as a little child, they would talk about going to Africa to be a missionary. And I was like, Oh my God, that's so terrifying. We never went, obviously, but, uh, but right. you guys obviously must love hot food growing up oh, in those yeah. formative years in Thailand.
0: Nothing's too hot. Earl and I both cook uh, Thai food and we always have to be cautious cause we add too much heat for the other people eating
1: it. <laughs> yeah. I'm always ordering it mild, which, you know, they kind of like, okay, whatever so how did your careers develop i know you had separate careers before you came together for the good road each of Mm -hmm. you give me a little short version of how that happened
0: i started in media and worked out of grad school in texas for public television for four years
1: let me just interrupt you real quickly another thing we have in common baylor university when i was considering colleges I considered going there because they had a film program, which was very unusual back in the 70s, actually late 60s.
0: Sick and Well,
1: I never went. Anyway, I found <laughs> it was a Baptist university and decided to go to VCU instead and be a heathen.
0: <laughs> yeah, so after that, I did PBS, and then I moved to Richmond to work, actually, for the same organization my parents worked for, and I worked for them for about 26 years, and then...
1: Which organization was that?
0: That's the uh, International Mission Board. When they told me to F off basically, me and about 30 others who I led as the managing director of communications. Earl was the first person to reach out to me.
1: So Earl, how about you? How'd you get to this point?
2: My career was mostly through some international expat assignments. I worked for Michelin. I headed up their sales for uh, Mexico, Central America, and then got into technology. So really the last probably 20 years I've been in and around nonprofits, in and around technology. I started a company called Good Done Great. We used to run the employee giving program for about 60 of the largest companies. So we had Toyota, Marriott, AIG, Capital One, Home Depot, lots of different ones. We had three and a half million employees that we were trying to get interested in causes through visual storytelling. And how do you do it in a way that people want to watch it? You know, and a lot of times feel good television is the worst television. And we made it into a travel show. We said, let's just go to places that are interesting to us. And let's hang out with people that are doing some interesting things. And that's the impetus for the Good All Over brand and the Good Road, specifically our television show.
1: And so the two of you are the hosts of the show. Now, I noticed in the credits and in the trailer, it has, I think Earl's name on the left and Craig Martin's name on the right. How did you debate over who gets to be on Cause you know, you we read from left to right, who got top billing, essentially there was it cause of your idea, Earl?
2: I, if I got top billing, I think it was just the default, you know, or whatever. In the very beginning, it's funny because we started down the road and I thought that I was going to be, you know, the host and Craig was going to be behind the camera, but Craig provides a lot of empathy in the stories and so he quickly became important to almost every story that we did so he and i do it side by side and i say i don't know who the host and the co-host is but we're both both
0: i think people do resonate with the fact that it's two good you know best friends traveling and we can play off each other and there are times when I may be too serious and Earl jumps in with a really funny, appropriate joke in that moment, or we're able to riff off of, you know, some one of the characters and just really have a super engaging time. And I think the power of of that dialogue is that people oftentimes say, well, it's intrusive. People know they're being, you know, filmed and all that, but the reality is once Earl and I start talking to people, it becomes supernatural and they kind of tune everything out, which I think is, is useful for us.
1: And I'll have to say I'll, I'll back that up because I noticed that the chemistry between the two of you obviously makes the show work to a great extent. Well, Now, speaking of making the show to work, we can't ignore the fact that there is a director, writer, editor, Andrew Dunsing. What's the story behind him?
2: Andy came on because Craig had worked with him on another project called... The Insanity of God, which was a faith-based program filmed internationally. So we really gave Andy free reigns. We said we wanted it to be messy, we wanted it to be authentic, and he went with the rest of it, look, feel, tone, things like that. So the Emmy nominations that we received, both for the first season and the second season, are quite literally directly attributed to Andy and how he's done his directing and editing.
1: He created trouble for himself because he does a lot of walk and talk. And I know that's not easy to shoot when you got <laughs> two people walking and what, two or three cameras plus audio trying to get all that going.
0: Yeah, we just we have some of the best crew on I mean, and, and and we're a tight crew too. We'll finish a long day of work and then usually go out and have drinks and which makes it for a long, troubling day when you have to be up at six AM but a fun day.
1: How did you develop this? Because obviously traveling all over the world and you just mentioned quite a crew there. Mm-hmm. that ain't free so how did y'all manage uh, I, I noticed in the in the, the subsequent seasons you've got toyota and amd and some other people sponsoring but how did you manage to swing that at first where was the money coming from when y'all secretly rich
2: yeah we're rich we're no longer rich this is how you, <laughs> you know, make a small fortune but this is the pbs model which is very different than you know some of the other broadcast ones where you have that concept of something's going to get green lit which means that it's going to get funded and right. then they're going to take ownership of it in public television. While we own the IP and we own the kind of the creative inside of the parameters of PBS, we still have to go find our sponsors. And for a first year show, look, Craig and I, dirty little secret, were middle aged white guys when we started into television. And that's as unlikely a story, I think, as you can get. Right. So when we had the crazy idea, I had just sold a software company and could done great. We pulled our resources together. And we started down this road of let's figure out what we can do uh, with the show. And and as you gut check along the way, we're still getting positive you know, feedback from a lot of distribution channels and things like that. We landed on PBS. And again, now we're just now kind of recouping some of the costs that we put in at the very beginning.
0: And when Earl says pooled our resources, it means depleted our uh, life <laughs> right. our, uh, savings um i do want to give a shout out to because you listed some of the sponsors and this will be interesting i think to you jerry as well but plow and hearth is a very small sponsor for us right uh, but they're a local company largely based in charlottesville and so we're very happy to have at least uh you know one local sponsor on on the richmond side so that's kind of cool
1: and some of the interviews you said that the show is batman not superman now what exactly does that mean
0: You know, working for all those years for the International Mission Board, where I basically did propaganda for the Baptists, I realized that what the organization wanted me to say was that these are superheroes who are just doing amazing things. The reality is they're much more like Batman, all of these characters. I mean, the people, I've been out to remote parts of Africa where they didn't have electricity and pumped the from the well, just like the locals. And one of the things I, I learned and knew after all those years is it's hard. They have doubts. They're struggling all the time. Right. You know, almost always. There's some conflict, stress. And that's much more like that dark, brooding Batman character. And not to say that people don't have the same goals and mission and, and they're, they're energized to do what they do. But it isn't the Superman, you know, idea.
1: Well, the difference, also, Superman has superpowers. Batman really doesn't. He has to use his own money and ingenuity to do his magic stuff, right. do his superhero stuff. And Earl, you call yourselves philanthropologist. I think I got that right. <laughs> philanthropologist. Explain yeah. that, please.
2: Well, I think the idea is that, look, we're getting to do the job that everyone wants to do. You get to hang out with a good friend, travel around the world tell stories about people doing good. So we're trying to figure out what is this job that we have now? Philanthropology was kind of what we landed on, and it's really, it's that search for the good. We are searching, trying to uncover, and we're also, I think, very cognizant, just like an anthropologist is, of the fact that when you're there, everything changes. You can't walk down a beach without leaving footprints, and you can't be in a place without having your fingerprints kind of all over. And I think that's what we're trying to do is not be too intrusive, but also go find the good wherever that may be. And oftentimes that's in the darkest corners.
1: That was going to bring me perfectly to my next question. You've been all over the place. You've been to Thailand, Mm -hmm. Kenya, Alabama, Tanzania, Uganda, Myanmar, India, Puerto Rico, Richmond, Charleston. How do you find the people and decide, okay, we're going to go talk to this person or feature this particular group?
2: Well, initially we started with i mean, the fact that we grew up in Bangkok and we have just a really big network and we've got a lot of friends that are all over the world, kids that we've just grown up with. But then after that, after season one and people started seeing what it was that we were doing, there's no shortage. We get hit up for stories every day virtually of somebody doing something amazing. And so the hard part is how do you curate? How do you pick out of all the things that there are good to talk about?
0: COVID really did kind of force us into how can we do the show still? And that kind of directed us more domestic in a lot of ways for season two and, and even for season three.
1: Surprise guest drop in. Talking about season one and season two, we have a surprise guest visitor who worked with you on those seasons.
3: Oh. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Carlos. Footnote Carlos Chafin is the president, composer, and co founder of In Your Ear Recording Studios. So
3: what did you do for the good road? Oh, messed it up pretty much. I put them on the <laughs> road. I'm responsible for scoring and the audio for the show, so um, I mix the show. Andrea, back here, Andrea Buchheit, does the dialogue editing and gets all that stuff straight and hands it over to me.
1: By the way, send her my love because of course she did the work on my Dirt Woman documentary. She and did along with you. She yeah. did.
3: <laughs> she is. She's back there hanging out. So it's a- cool. Do I have to do something to turn video on? Yes I do, don't I? Is this
1: your first Zoom, Carlos?
3: (laughs) No. No, it's usually I'm the person starting the Zoom, so you know, there you go. You know, I I don't have to worry about these technicalities. But there's this is a podcast, so who cares, right? This is Exactly, right. exactly. So there you go.
2: Well, I will say both Carlos and Andrea and the whole team at In Your Ear Studios has been a huge part of it. I think
1: Carlos has an interesting story about one of those early episodes in the production.
3: Earl <laughs>
2: probably knows
3: what it is. Yeah, I
1: think so. That's why. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I want to interrupt him before he gave it away.
3: Yeah, yeah, I know. Carlos, come uh, on, lay it on us. Exactly. Well, you know, the as you've probably discovered earlier in this uh, dive here, these guys are, you know, they met in Thailand. So they speak Thai and and they are part of that. They know the cultural deal over there and everything. So the first show they do is, of course, from Bangkok. And the editor, Andy Dunsing, wanted to have a piece of music that was Thai as the opening piece to the whole show. So he finds this weird band doing a version of Chicago's 25 of Six four in Thai. And, and Andy's thinking this would be a really funny way to start the show. And he was absolutely right. But, you know, you got to get the rights to stuff like this. You can't just throw things in the shows. You, and it ain't
1: cheap when it's a big hit like
3: that. Got that right. You know, they're going to hold these guys up by the ankles and shake them hard to get the money. So uh, I said, that's fine, but you can't do this. And besides, it sounds bloody awful anyway. I mean, you don't want to start your first show, first season with this thing that sounds like it was recorded in a Thai bathroom somewhere. I don't know where. (laughs) On a cassette cassette recorder, no less. Exactly. So I said, okay, I'm going to write something different that has horns and all the feel of this, but it is not this song at all. And of course, this other thing was in Thai. It was a singer. I said, okay, Earl, you need to do your homework here. We need to find a Thai singer over there to sing this. I'm going to send the track over. We'll get a Thai singer to do this thing. It was kind of punky too, wasn't it? A hard rock or something. Very, very punky. So we get out of the finish line and no singer has been found. For some reason, we came up with the bright idea that Earl should sing it.
2: Uh Write it, write it, it and sing it. And sing it.
3: You know, so I came up with some lyrics, I said, translate this. (laughs) Which was hilarious in its own Uh, way. But then uh, he gets out in the studio and, and we transformed Earl into a punk Thai singer. Wow. And it is on the front of the show. It is really what is there.
0: Did Earl share the one little fun Easter egg that you did with the countdown?
2: The way I started it, instead of a five, four, three, two, one type thing. We did a bat hulk jet ha samsung gao, which means 8675309. <laughs> so, so you have to know Thai. And you know, that song was popular when Craig and I were in high school. So I thought it was a great, you know, homage back to that area. But unless you speak Thai, you never picked it up. And you have to be of a certain age to even know what that song is. Jerry, thanks for inviting me to torment these
3: guys for a yeah. second. Thanks, Carlos.
1: Thank you so much, Carlos. Good seeing you, Carlos and Andrea. So you're getting ready to launch season three. What did you learn from season one that helped you make season two better? And maybe even is going to make season three different or even better, better.
2: So starting out a television show from the very beginning, when you've never done it before, there's a lot of unknowns. It's like every other business, you know, entrepreneurial venture that I've done before. And looking back in hindsight, we spent way too much. We didn't know exactly what the format was. We thought we had a good idea for content. We didn't know what the audience was going to be. And so over time, As we developed into season one, we landed on PBS as our, you know, distribution outlet and got much smarter on what it was that the show was going to be. So season one costs were probably double what they should have been. Season two costs, we've got, you know, more refined. Now we have sponsors and now we have, you know, distribution and now we have viewership and now we have demographics and all the rest of it. So things have gotten better and better. And uh, hopefully the show uh, reflects that as well. I think we're certainly more efficient. But I also think our shows are much better.
0: People early on and still to this day, they have the misconception that our show is about nonprofits. Uh, it can be. It often is. But it's not just about people who are not you know, getting paid well and whatever. It can be for-profit companies. It can be large institutions. It can be government.
2: But we did a whole thing on the Space Force.
0: Yeah. And, and so we we even had a little bit of pushback initially from some of the PBS folks going and I thought the show was about philanthropy. And we're like, well, you know, it is, but it's also about changing the world for the positive. An organization, for instance, like Space Force really does. And I know this is controversial, but they do help to protect space for the scientists and engineers and people who are going out to help figure out how to mitigate against climate change. That's the fun of the show is we don't want to be pegged as, you know, we had a a woman the first time I talked to a woman over breakfast that came from a Title I school in Nashville, and we wanted to add her into the show. She was like, Craig, I'm just curious. We don't do like food distribution. We're just educators. I'm like, well,
1: (laughs) no. That's that's kind of important. Yeah, it's kind of important. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Well, now you mentioned sponsors. Uh, Obviously, now you've got Toyota, which is great because you're traveling all over the world, I'm assuming, in their vehicles, Uh, and AMD and Plow and Hearth. How did you wrangle some of these sponsors? y'all just go out and say, hey, give us some money?
2: It's never as easy as it looks. Getting sponsorships and stuff, especially when you've never been on television, is really hard. So we really pounded the pavement. We went back to some brands that were wanting associate their brands with some of the good work that are going on around the world. And so that helped us a little bit.
0: And in the case of AMD, we actually had an episode we showed them that was about technology being used in the anti-poaching efforts in Kenya. And just the idea of, you know, saving endangered species through technology, they got excited about because they're like, "That's, that's exactly you know, the kinds of things we want to use technology for.
1: Uh, In season two, episode one, which actually uh, I saw at the Richmond International Film Festival when it played there, when you're interviewing people out in front of the Lee monument, and of course it was in the height of COVID, it seemed weird to me because everybody had on masks and they were easily six to eight, 10 feet apart. And I'm like, why don't they take those masks off at least for the interview? What, what was the decision behind that?
0: Most of the COVID era stuff where we really, people were really concerned about catching it and I mean, that was right in the middle of, heavy in the middle of that. Right. And it became, of course, as we know, in our nation's history, a political issue. You know, if you wear a mask, you know, you're some sort of flaming liberal. And if you don't wear a mask, you're some right wing nut who doesn't believe. Of course,
1: that's it. played out in the show, too. Yeah. a little
0: bit. In the case of that particular scene, here I am talking to two of my African-American brothers who, you know, very important in my life. And they were going to wear masks because, as we know, disproportionately affects the Black community. I don't think they were personally that worried about the situation. But I think the optics of it, just being Uh out there in the middle of COVID and you've got folks not wearing masks, I think that was the decision. But at the same time... You know, it was a little bit of respect for the community that you're working in. Sure.
2: I was just gonna say, Jerry, the other thing on this uh the mask thing kind of is a cultural thing anyway. And we traveled around the world and we're in different cultures and you're respecting kind of the community where you're at. So we do the things that we should do. You know, we're not the ugly Americans wherever we are, whether that's domestically or taking our shoes off in a Buddhist temple or showing respect inside someone else's cultural area. It's not too much for all of us to take at least a little bit of a, an awareness about where you're surrounding or where you are as a guest inside of a community. What is the biggest challenge of this show? Um funding. Honestly, it's just that.
1: Craig's shaking his head. Yes, too for those who can't see him.
2: Funding with anything. Every business venture I've ever been a part of, it's finding the right investors, finding patient investors, finding people that believe in it. And so I think that's part of it is just being able to tell the story, understanding where, you know, this thing is going to land and then trying to get it funded.
0: I, I would have to echo it. Neither Earl or I get paid to do it yet. The joke in my family with my kids and my wife is they tease me now saying, yeah, dad, when the show takes off, <laughs> 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 which is ironic because the show's done really, really well. Yeah. But,
1: you yeah. Know. <laughs> Bingwish, how did that distribution come about? Were they the first ones you pitched it to?
2: No, we actually, we started hitting a couple of smaller PBS stations and they immediately said, yeah, we'd love to back your show. And so we started our first season with WETA out of D.C. backing the show. And then we moved to GBH. So, yeah, we've kind of progressed on with the friends that have bigger distribution for us.
0: For the most part, public television has been really great. No, I wouldn't say for the most part. Definitely, you know, full on has been really great about not getting into our, you know, kind of editorial business. They have some rules and we try to, you know, break them. (laughs) <laughs> no, I'm, I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. As you should, exactly. <laughs> we try to follow them, but for the most part, we can be as vocal and, and often are about topics and issues that you know we believe strongly in, that we're just kind of like, this is how it is and that's from our perspective.
1: The last question I always ask everybody, what are you watching? When you're not sitting in an edit suite, you're not doing your own work, what do you watch? Sitting home, TV, streaming, whatever, Craig? Well,
0: I knew you were going to ask this question. Oh, good. As a listener, (laughs) thank
1: you. So you're prepared. Earl, you can be scurrying to figure it out while Craig answers. So I,
0: as you might imagine, as a documentarian, watch a ton of documentary docu series, probably the most disturbing and compelling documentary I saw was recommended to me by one of the women at the post office near my house. You know, she found out that I did the show and everything. and she goes, "Have you seen Girl in the Picture?" And oh, right, right. So I watched that and was kind of riveted by that sad and tragic story. I love any kind of
1: docu series, though. It's
0: really what I spend a lot of time with,
1: and there's plenty of them out there now. That's a popular form now.
0: It really is. And that was, I mean, in some ways that's helped our show because people got kind of used to now watching, you know, things that were not narrative, scripted feature kind of work.
1: Earl, please don't say you watch documentaries too. Come on, give me something.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Hey, I'm still watching Tiger King.
1: Oh, my Lord.
2: (laughs) Those types of stories that feel weird and kind of off the beaten track and things like that that take you by surprise. I like that. So, yeah, everywhere, everything all at once. I'm in the middle of kind of watching that as well. I love that because it's quirky. Um, But I get sucked up into the Yellowstone and, you know, some of the other shows as well where you got character development. You've got people that are, again, Batman, not Superman. So here's
0: a funny thing about watching stuff. And Earl and I are both this way. We spend a lot of time on Delta Airlines. And we watched the in-flight entertainment, right? And our show actually was in Delta's in-flight entertainment, and I think cool. is about to be again. It's always been so disappointing. Like everybody's watching all these cool movies, and you're like, you know, there's a show on there called The Good Road. <laughs> you should really, you know, it's, it's always awkward to whenever I like point out, oh, that's my show, like. Right. Why are you talking to me?
1: <laughs> <laughs> You're weird looking and you have red glasses. <laughs> well, thank you guys. You guys have been great. This has been lots of fun. It's been very informative. And as a sign off, I would like to request that you both just say something interesting or pleasant in Thai.
2: Earl, Pom DJI Mak, one and one tea suit. Greg, you want to season. translate
1: his and then say yours and he'll translate.
0: <laughs> he, he just did all the pleasantries of this, you know, thankful and all that. And and he didn't say what he's really thinking, Jerry, which is. Which you're going to say
1: in Thai and then let him translate it.
0: Yeah. Hey, so you're hungry?
3: Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's time for lunch. Get some of that hot Thai food, right? I was like, all right, guys, thank you so much.
3: Thank okay. you, Jerry. Thank you, Jerry.
0: Bye-bye. All right,
1: bye. Craig Martin and Earl Bridges are the co-hosts of The Good Road. Season 3 airs on PBS starting on September 6th, and there's a link on the webpage for this podcast at tvjerry.com. Coming soon in theaters. 3,000 Years of Longing. This psychedelic drama from George Miller features Tilda Swinton as an academic who unleashes a genie. Idris Elba. Breaking, John Boyega and Michael K. Williams star in this drama about a Marine vet who's denied financial support from the government and ends up in an unfortunate standoff. The Invitation, after discovering that she has a long lost cousin, a woman travels to a lavish wedding in the English countryside that turns very dark. Liger, a sports action film about an MMA boxer from India. TV and streaming. On the 24th, Welcome to Wrexham on FX. This docuseries is about the titular soccer club that was bought by Ryan Reynolds and Rob McElhaney. Mo on Netflix, a comedy about a Palestinian refugee and his family. On the 25th, Mike on Hulu, a docuseries about heavyweight champ Mike Tyson. The End is Nigh on Peacock. The Science Guy walks us through some hypothetical disasters. On the 26th, Samaritan on Amazon. Sylvester Stallone plays a reclusive man who's actually a super vigilante. Me Time on Netflix. Kevin Hart and Mark Wahlberg get into trouble when the wives are away. On the 28th, The Bolands, A Scandalous Family on PBS, a BBC series where historians explain their lives and actors reenact it. The Patient, on Hulu, created by the duo behind The Americans, about a psychotherapist, played by Steve Carell, who finds himself held prisoner by a serial killer. C, on Amazon, returns for the final season starring Jason Momoa, who lives in a world where everyone is blind. This is Jerry Williams. Thanks for listening. For more Sister, including literally thousands Thousands of of reviews, reviews.
3: visit tvjerry.com.
1: That's a wrap.